Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Jaguar Sharks podcast. I am one of your hosts today. We will also have Jesse and Hope with me, and we have a very special guest on today's episode, Oren Soffer, who is the cinematographer of the film The Creator that came out last year. That was my favorite visual experience of last year beyond the boy and the heron, which we do bring up in the episode. Uh, and off air, I want to say Oren told me that he liked that one a lot as well. So I just want to say I, I feel a little claimed off air. Um, thank you so much for being here. If you're watching this in the Patreon cut, you got here early for a buck, and that means you mean a ton to us. The show's going to start in just a minute. If you're watching the YouTube version of this, hey, some a bunch of people got to see this early. They got to watch this on our Patreon. If you check that out, it's a dollar a month for access, and that's it. Nothing else. It's the easiest Patreon that you could ever see. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, also subscribe to the channel. Uh, check out our TikTok where we post our clips. Uh, we also have an Instagram. Um, and please check out everything that Oren does as well. He's got a website, orensoffer.com. He's also on Letterboxd, Instagram. I found him on Twitter. He's all over the place. So uh, if you'd like to get in contact with him on social, you can check those out as well. Thank you so much again for watching the episode. Here we go. Let's, uh, I want to start off with a joke real quick if you're down for this, Oren. Um, are you a letterbox guy? I am. Oh, I love it. Okay, awesome. <laughs> I, I, I had to make a new letterbox group last night. Um, the letterbox group is films shot by Oren that open with a pregnant woman in a scary situation walking into water. Um, <laughs> because I, I happened to watch uh, A Nightmare Wakes and the creator. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second. <laughs> Wait, these are opening exactly the same way. What is happening here? Um, that's amazing. I have never made that connection until this oh. very moment. <laughs> very slick, Seth. Yeah. Very thank slick. you. So, thank thank you. you for that. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> you gotta do it with the next one. You gotta get you gotta get the hat trick. You gotta get it. Next yeah, yeah. One. If you, give me, know, if you now... give me a third one, I will freak. I will freak the fuck out. I, well, now I have to. Like now, I will literally. You're obligated. Pick my next movie based on whether or not it has an opening scene with a pregnant woman walking into a. Damn body right. Of water. We'll be. You know, we'll be watching you. Me, before, <laughs> before I watched those, we had just watched the new Evil Dead, which also opens with a woman yes. in water with the title card, and I was like, "I'm three for three today. This is amazing." It does also one of the best recent title card reveals of any film. Oh yeah. God, yeah, hard agree, hard agree, absolutely. Um, yeah, so so let's dive into it. We've all uh, kind of prepared a few questions for you. Um, we, uh, I'm I'm really excited to dive into your filmography. You're a prolific motherfucker. Like <laughs> we we were remarking before you jumped on here. Uh, at your age, you have like 60 plus credits to your name that I could dig up in in my background search here. So, uh, when do you stop working? At what point does it end? You know, it's so funny. I do not consider myself a workaholic. Really? Like, really? I, I your love, Wikipedia says otherwise. I right? know it's it's funny, but I I I love not working. <laughs> like I love. <laughs> I love, like you said, I'm a letterbox guy. I like watching movies. 
I like going to American Cinematheque. I like going to uh, uh, to the Arrow and to the New Bev. And I like having time to do those things. And I like having time to 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 play board games and go on hikes and like live life a little bit and go to a museum. Um, and I think it's important to do all those things, by the way, too. Like you right. want to have, you know, a well-rounded existence and have a classy exposure to culture and all that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I didn't mention the the monster truck rallies, but no, I'm just kidding. Hey, listen, I actually have never, I've never, <laughs> I've never been to a monster truck rally, but I would, I would love to go. Um, but I, I like not working and I like working, you know, it's like a, a nice balance, a little bit of both. Uh, so the filmography, I mean, the only thing I can explain that with is like, it's been 14 years, you know, yeah. it's, it accumulates, I guess. Like a lot of those credits are student films, uh, the shorts. I did a lot of student shorts. Yeah. A lot of student shorts. So IMD, if you're on my IMDb and you're looking at anything that is a short from 2013 or earlier, that's a student short. So those were, I mean, very prolific in yeah. At NYU, you're shooting a film almost every weekend. So yeah. there's there's probably a lot that aren't on IMDb that that are that are still on there. But like, is that part of the I don't know the workaholic filmography? Maybe, maybe not. It is on IMDb, and that's all that matters. Right, right. Rack up those credits, man. Yeah, exactly. Just racking them up. That's right. It's a numbers game, really. Every little yeah. bit helps to you know hone your craft and such yeah absolutely. it does no it does that's a, every yes you're absolutely right every single job and every single shoot uh but also yeah you know quantity over quality i is what people always say right yeah yeah no they say the opposite <laughs> <laughs> well so, well if you're marvel that's true <laughs> well, so, well what, i had to get one in there what is <laughs> What does that switch from shorts to features look like for you? Then was that a was that a uh, a choice of yours? Where was 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 that an aim or a goal, or was that something that just kind of happened naturally with racking up these credits? I think it's everybody's goal eventually. Like right. as a DP, you're like, I want to shoot features. Mm -hmm. um, my first feature we shot in film school, which was atypical, but uh, it was basically Whoa. a group of us mm -hmm, directed by Marley Marley Rodriguez. Shout out. Um, still a very good friend of mine. Actually, most of the people who worked on that are still good friends of mine. Uh, and in the summer between junior and senior year, we were like, what if we make a movie? <laughs> Basically, what if instead of a thesis film, which is a sh which are shorts at yeah. NYU, we just make a film, a feature. Uh, and that's what we did. So that's why that was my first feature. Nice. And in terms of the jump, like it, it kind of, it's just the same really. Like it's, it's, it's like four short films. Basically, like that's what it felt like at first, because oh. a short film you shoot, you know, like the more robust ones, like the NYU thesis films, probably shoot over like five, six or seven days. The the, the, the more robust projects like senior year wow. projects. Yeah. Wow. So if you're doing a 20 day feature, that's just four of those. So it's really not that crazy a leap when you really think about it. Um, it's just like doing four short films back to back. And with features, especially because there's different locations and stuff like that, like you almost can treat each week or each chunk of a feature as its own film, like as its own little unit. And then you just need to be consistent across all the units. Like there's a cohesive visual language, obviously, but um, in terms of compartmentalizing it mentally, it makes the task of like looking at, uh, 
you know, four week shoot as opposed to a three or four day shoot, a lot yeah. less daunting. And, and, I, and the jump to the creator obviously was much bigger because I had done sure. every feature that I had done. The longest I did was 24 days prior to the creator. Mm -hmm. And then the creator was 90 days. So that's, that's a big jump in terms of the length of the shoot, but, but mentally it ended up kind of being the same thing. It was like each, Whoa. each unit of the shoot, like, because it's a road movie and we're shooting all over the place and there's sort of like mental chunks of filming okay. in different locations. Each one of those is like a film. So it's like, okay, well we're, we're here for three weeks. So that's just a three week fe feature. And then we're going to this other location for two weeks. So that's another two week unit mentally. And, it's like you just kind of get through those, through those milestones until you get to the end of the shoot. So, so that's, that's how you get a five-hour assembly cut is you're, you're shooting a, a feature in yeah. your <laughs> chunk. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I saw oh, that yeah. listing as a five-hour assembly yeah. cut. I was like, what was yeah, cut? We I'm like, it's, what, it's like two hours, was two minutes. What going on there? Like, Yeah, there's a lot that got cut, actually. There's a lot that got cut that, was, that we shot that crazy. was in the script. I'm I'm sure I'm sure I'm wading into NDAs here. Is there anything that you saw on set that's not in the movie that you were a little bummed didn't make it in? You know what it is is everything that we shot is in the movie, but it's all cut down. So uh, okay. a lot of the sequences uh, in the film that are little glimpses of flashbacks, those were fully fleshed out flashbacks. Oh. Like we shot those for for Hold weeks. It. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so, and then in the, in the edit, what you realize, this is what's so funny about it. And like, I look, I'm a DP, so, you know, I have no horse in this race, but it's interesting to observe as, as a filmmaker being a part of the process. Flashbacks are tricky because on paper, they make a lot of sense. And like in written form, you know, you're reading a story, you're following along like a script, a novel, whatever it is, you allow it to kind of take you to all sorts of different places and take mm -hmm. you on a bit of a journey. The minute you're watching a movie, flashbacks get really boring really quickly mm. because you're like, ah, but what about, what about the story? Like, what about the, the, what about right. the, the narrative, the action that we were, that we we're invested in and paying attention to that's taking place in present day, like unfolding in real time. That's mm. so much more interesting than an extended flashback. Mm. And you realize yeah. that w when you watch a cut, like that's when you realize like, oh, you know what? It's actually like, this really drags. Um, yeah. So gotcha. that's, okay. that's kind of what happened, you know? And I think that. everybody has the idea that they're like, flashbacks will work in our film, but mm -hmm. even though they, they, they haven't, the, other filmmakers have encountered the same problem. And then you get into the edit and it's like, nope, it's still a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually been, um, I'm currently reading uh, Lord of the Rings. I'm in the middle of the second book right now. And there's a whole section where, remember in the second film where the, the, the ants are attacking, um, Orthanc, uh, Saruman Tower. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Yes. That entire description is described in a flashback by Mary after they arrive. Yes. So it's like, if they had actually shot it that way and it's just him recounting everything, it would be horribly right. boring. Yeah. So it's things like that where it's like changing things in order to not make it a flashback. Flashbacks are good in like small snippets, but if you have extended flashbacks, it really would ruin pacing. Mm. So. Yes, because you're just how you're stopping up. the narrative right exactly. there to to, to expose to the audience. Exactly. Yeah. So that's how that's that's how the flashbacks in the film ended up the way they are now. But mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot of material that we shot that was awesome, and maybe yeah. one day, ten, tenth year anniversary director's right. cut special, <laughs> special edition, eight K, Blu-ray, whatever. I don't. Who knows what? 
<laughs> give me, give me the Edwards cut. <laughs> yeah, it'll be in the <laughs> Apple VR at that point. Like, I don't even oh. know what, what what are we going to be watching in 10 years? Who knows? We'll right. beam it right into your brain, I guess. I don't know. We go from the show. I saw that Batman movie. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Just mm. <laughs> damn it, Seth. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, so I I uh, asked to do this interview because uh, you know two people that I I work with and are friends of mine, uh, my friends Blake and Maya. You know them, um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So, um, well, one thing Maya pointed out that there was like four out cable and a shot that was in uh, in the creator, and I I caught that, and I was like, I'm gonna ask you about that, and she said, please don't, and then she <laughs> asked you directly in the group chat, and I was like the fuck like why do you get to ask and i don't <laughs> to be fair uh i just commented on it she didn't ask me directly but i okay. saw the post and i thought it was very funny um uh and yeah i mean that cable was just there like that that's yeah. that we didn't place that there there's there's a lot of that in the movie i mean that was part of the beauty of the the, the process of making it was it was like what's already here you know let's yeah. use that like there's layers production design is an interesting thing because the real world often like in places like that, like in rural Thailand, like a village somewhere, or in in that case, that scene is in Nepal, but similar Mm -hmm. idea. There's like layers of 100 years of just stuff like cables, telephone wires, uh, uh, um, wire, like old school, you know, um, uh, uh, wires from before telephones, uh, old, power cables, new power cables on top of them, um, uh, pavement, new pavement, crumbling pavement, rocks filled out, like all these little textural things that a really skilled art department can fake that, but it's almost never as good as the real thing. Like Mm -hmm. the real thing, just the layers of stuff that accumulates over time and the, the texture and the randomness of it is it's like, Oh, we didn't have to do anything here at all. It's perfect the way it is. And, um, you know, we run into that with costumes a lot. Gareth is very particular about this, like costumes. And now I can't stop seeing it in shows like Mm. fantasy and sci-fi shows. Costumes look too clean. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Yeah. always. And, and, And it's like they look like fresh off the press. And you're like, no, but in a, in a fantasy world, like if somebody was wearing a tunic, it would be filthy. Like it would be. Yeah dirty, ratty, yes. crumbling, like, and, and, and a lot of times costume designers, and I understand why, are protective of their work. So they're like, here, look at this. And then you ask them to dirty it up and then they just like rub some dust on it. And you're like, no, 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 that's not enough. Take this thing, throw it in the ocean, drag it behind a car for a mile on a dirt road, <laughs> yep. throw it in an oven, and then put it on the actor. Right. Yeah. And then it looks like it's actually lived in. Listen, that that mm-hmm. makes me think of one of the earlier seasons of Walking Dead that always bugged the ever living shit out of me was um, <laughs> Andrea was tied up. Again, this is the apocalypse, zombie apocalypse. They don't shower regularly, everything. She's tied up. Yes. And then they pan to her feet that and she's trying to get like a tool because she's tied up and i'm like bitch where did you get time for a pedicure why are your feet so nice <laughs> yeah and so it's like Dude. the same thing and it drives me insane when i see that so i totally get what you're yes, saying yes yes i mean there's a fine line with with um with teeth 
hair, nails, skin, like, because you don't want someone, you, you can't make a movie where everybody looks like the creature behind the dumpster in Mulholland Drive. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody wants to watch that, but, right. but there has to be like, you have to meet in the middle somewhere. So like you have to do in those kinds of settings. I always appreciate when they do something mm -hmm. like in, um, uh, uh, Paul Giamatti has been doing all these interviews and, and everyone. He's uh, hot uh, right now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh. Cause he went to he's, in and out. He's having <laughs> like, a moment. He's having a moment. Uh, okay. uh, no, no. <laughs> it's because he's going to win an Oscar. That's why. He and deserves it, by the way. Right. Yeah. Deserves it. Uh, and so talking about John Adams and he, he's he been talking in, in these interviews about the teeth. And, and it's such a good little thing because it's like that's one thing that they did to just like give it a little bit of something. People are a little bit more groomed. They're less smelly looking and dirty than they would have actually been in the 1700s. So you you give the filmmaking that like grace to be like, right. Uh, you know, we know that we can't just make you look at something completely disgusting, but they did all have teeth like that fake teeth that are a little bit rotted. Yeah. But even he pointed out, he was like, in reality, none of those guys had any teeth. Like right. by yeah. that point, your teeth have all rotted out of your skull by age 30 in 1770. Right. So they were like, okay, well we can't do that because nobody's going to want to watch that. <laughs> Yeah. But what we'll do is we'll we'll meet it in the middle. We'll 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 give everybody little dental prosthetics and they're kind of stained and dirty and like there's a few missing teeth, but we're not gonna go all the way. So I I I agree with giving it a little bit of mm -hmm. that sort of film magic, but for with costumes and set design, it really bothers me. Yeah. Now when it's like too pristine, you know, and yeah. original Star Wars was great at that, but it's because they went out to the to the desert yeah. and yeah. everything yeah. got yep. dirty. So it has that texture, you know. Anyway, yeah. Well, tangent. I don't know. I don't know how we got down this road, but <laughs> no, my favorite thing of Walking Dead is whenever anybody's in like a town somewhere and they're just like, "Hey, who's mowing the grass?" Yes. <laughs> like oh, all God. the grass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's got to be the zombies, zombies, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, of course. The, the person mowing the grass is the 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 location owner in in Savannah, Georgia, that whose house it is that they're shooting. Of course. Outside. Like, that's who mowed the grass. <laughs> I say they were overrun by goats and they're just, you know, slowly eating all the grass. There you go. It was the goats. How about that? <laughs> they should put a disclaimer at the start of every episode. Roaming bands of goats. Yeah. <laughs> so Blake had a couple of questions, actually. He said, uh, gracefully ask Oren uh, what their Sherpas made. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't have an answer to that. The okay, Sherpa so that's what... Well, Sherpa yeah. <laughs> is uh, Sherpa is is an ethnicity. Actually, it's the type. It's the people's Nepal, it's, uh, right? native peoples Nepal. of N Nepal. Yeah. yeah. Who okay. who w over history? I mean, they they're just they know uh, the the Himalayas. That's where they're from. Gotcha. And so, in early expeditions, the, the 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 Sherpas were the peoples who guided British uh, and colonial um, expeditions to Everest and the Himalayas and all that. And to to this day, they they still do. Uh, so. I was not actually in Nepal, so oh. I couldn't even answer that question mm. if I wanted to. Nepal was like a very, very small unit. It was just Gareth um, and a focus puller and the actors, like very, very small. And I'm assuming a, a couple of Sherpas. Right. <laughs> but uh, but um, yeah, so I don't know how much they made, but I'm, I, I hope they made enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that goes into uh, something with regards to this being like a road film. It's set in Thailand that it's 
the globalization of the American filmmaking system and how other nations are used in the process, like in terms of creating art, is it easier or is it harder to do it over there? It seems like it's easier because this is a less than a hundred million dollar film. Yes, it, 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 it was ultimately easier. I would say, I mean, it's mm -hmm. maybe harder for the people in charge of logistics, <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> but that's not me. So mm -hmm. I don't care. Uh, creatively it's easier. It's easier. But, but, but kind of for the reasons I was just saying, like you just get so much free texture yeah. and lighting and like just character. That's why we went there. Like Gareth's whole thesis about the film is, and about filmmaking in general was you can build sets. Like you could build a set of anything you want in a soundstage in Los Angeles, in London, wherever. Um, and you can get all of the most skilled craftspeople and artisans to build that set and make it feel like a real lived in place. And, and people do that. But the thing is, is that for this, for less money, you can fly a smaller group of people like that. What I just described the building, the set that takes a ton of money Oh yeah, yeah. and it takes yeah. a ton of, of resources, uh, hours, like it takes, I mean, big films that build set, like those take months, sets yeah. take months to build and age and, 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 um, dress and light. Uh, and you need thousands of lights and you need big setups and you need big crews and you need, so it's cool. On the one hand, it's cool to have control. Like it's cool to have full control over the design and the look of things. And, and that works perfectly great for a film like Dune, for example, which is mostly sets. Um, at least all the interior, almost all of the interiors. And it's also because they're building a specific world, right? Like yeah. mm -hmm. yeah. Dune, Lord of the Rings, whatever, like insert, you know, X here. It's like the interiors are, it's a specific world. Um, but Gareth's thesis was, well, look, take the, let's say it costs, um, $5 million. And that's a, that's a realistic number to build a certain set, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like a, like a hero set that you, that you take, spend months designing and building and aging and shooting in $5 million. You know how many people you can fly to anywhere in the world for, for a fraction of that amount of money, yeah. like right. yeah. for just a few hundred thousand dollars, you could fly a whole crew of people and equipment and everything to any location in the world, uh, and get all of that stuff that we we're talking about, the texture, the, 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 the lived in quality, um, the character for free because you just went to a place that already has what you're looking for. So he's like, why not do that for most, for everything we can for the film. And you get all of that stuff for free. You get all of that texture and you have to surrender a little bit to that. You have to surrender to what you're getting. So you'll have to let go a little bit of the control of the like, well, I want it to look exactly like this. It's more about, I want it to feel somewhat like this or this or this. And here's a place that, that feels like that. Or in Gareth's case, like he, he had visited most of these places in the past and on a location scout yeah. um, prior pre-pandemic. So a lot of the film was then written to locations that he knew existed in the real world, yeah. That's yeah. Cool. which is That's another smart. advantage. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Wasn't some of this stuff also the same places they shot parts of Rogue One, like the ending? Was that the same general location or was it somewhere else? No, I don't think we repeated any Rogue One locations. Okay. 
Yeah. It looked it looked a little similar with the beach and such. No, no, that uh, that I think that's in the Maldives. Okay. On gotcha. Rogue One, and we were in Thailand. Yeah. It looks similar because it's the same part of the world. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Same kind of beautiful tropical um, southern hemisphere. Well, it's not southern hemisphere, but it's close to the equator. Right. Um, goodness. So yeah, Maldives are like a hop skip away from southern Thailand. You know, just a twenty four hours on a rickety plane to the middle of the ocean somewhere <laughs> but you end up kind of getting the same beach so anyway <laughs> not what really. were your days what were your days like on um on that was it like long days with the short days i'm i'm a typically an advocate of the 12 hours or less i typically hate when you have to go past past 12 hours because it really starts to take a toll on the crew yeah we, we shot 10 hour days whoa oh, wow no shit that's nice yeah. Yes. That's yes. Nice. Finally. See, it's possible. It's yeah. possible. Yes, it is. And by the way, that's that's all another way to how you how do you survive a 90 day shoot? Ten yeah. Days. Yeah. You shoot 10 yeah. hour days and then you're not dead by the end of the day. Right. Yeah. I, I really don't. I, I've I've been working in the business since 2008 um, as an electric. And so I've there's so many people I've seen that. Whenever I say I don't like working more than 12 hours, they're like, oh, what are you, some kind of pussy? It's like, no, well, we're going to work 15, 16 hours. And it's like, these people typically have multiple divorces. They're estranged from their kids. They they, don't wanna, yeah, they don't want to go home, I guess. They yeah. don't want to go home. They like they live at their job. And it's like, they, they're miserable all the time. And it's like, is this really what you want? It's like, it, it should be, it, yes, it is an art form. Yes, but it's also just a job. You shouldn't have to dedicate every aspect of your life to it. Yeah, so. yeah. I don't understand that at all. It takes a toll oh, on people oh, yeah. too, you know, like I, I'm a big um, mental health advocate. I, uh, I actually work with psychologists. I work in the medical field and like yeah. it, it takes such a toll on people to work so many hours, especially with you guys. Cause it's not a consistent, like quote unquote, nine to five, it might be 10 hour days, but you might be doing night shoots one week and day shoots the next week or so it's like switched up and it can take a toll on you. So if you overdo it, you're going to just yeah. kill everybody. You're going to kill your brain. You're going to kill your body. It's so having something structured like that is so important. So I'm so glad you did that. Right. Exactly. I mean, I'll point out, by the way, because I, 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 I'm also a big advocate around this stuff. And, and um, you know, I want to make sure that the uh, the Overton window on this is, is shifted significantly further than it is already. Wow. 10 yeah. hour days is also too much. No, it is. It is. I, you know, just just it, it, it's, it's something we should include in the yeah. conversation. Like 10 hours is also a long day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, when you factor in drive time as well, like to and right. from locations, that's an extra hour both ends. That's correct. It's an extra. And for us, it was often more than an hour. Right. Yeah. Um, mm. Because some of our locations were quite remote from where we were staying. So it was um, sometimes more than an hour um, at the start of the day and at the end of the day. And now we arrive to set half an hour to 45 minutes before call mm -hmm. uh, to have breakfast and sit down and kind of talk about the day a little bit. And then you have a half hour to 45 minute lunch. Right. So, and that's not included within the 10 hours. Right. right. So really the whole day is 12 to 13 hours, portal to portal. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and that's just to stress how crazy it is to do all of that and then have a 12 hour day in the middle of it. Plus, yeah. All this right. other stuff on this end and all this other stuff on this end. Because that is, even if you're sticking to sticking to 12 and not going over, 
that's still a 14 hour day at least yeah every day and that's just that's just unsustainable it's unsustainable on your your body your mind your personal life your sanity um and your 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 into your dietary intake like everything yes. it's just everything yeah. becomes impossible yeah and um and i think the films i think the work suffers a little like yeah because even though you have more time i don't think you're using it any more efficiently by by the final hour or two of, of a day like that and so you know we yeah 10 hour days it wasn't even a, a fight like that was i think maybe um it came from it was it was mostly a british production like most of the production crew interesting okay and i think that might be a standard there cuz we did 10 hour days when we shot in london as well okay um so i think that might just be more of a standard and i think in general i've heard i mean i haven't really worked in france and some of the other places but my understanding is that that is actually a standard in um in other european countries and uh yeah we really we should learn a thing or two from that i yeah. i <laughs> it's really unfortunate that 12 has sort of become the thing where like we're fighting for 12, you know, like because yeah. everybody right. goes over 12, which is outrageous. Yeah. But like we should be fighting for eight. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. being yeah. in the middle, like compromising in the middle somewhere. Uh yeah. but anyway. Imagine if it was any other job. Imagine if it was anything else. Yeah. Like if you were working in, in the food service industry or something like that. It's like you want to be 12 hours in a kitchen? No, of course exactly. not. Like, say, Shut what up. is the difference? Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I work exactly. I, exactly. I I work third shift in a lab, and typically my days are ten to twelve hours. So when Jesse just said that, I'm like, oh, shut up! I haven't been to sleep yet today. By the way, uh, oh right. no. So <laughs> this, but that's this, the point. It's this, unsustainable. This is really hitting home. This conversation. <laughs> oh no. Between my job and then I come on to do these podcasts with them, which is my passion, not my job, you know. So it's like it's hitting home right now so bad. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, listen, we're gonna change it. We're gonna change it right here, right oh. now. We're okay. gonna say eight hour days, eight yeah, hour days. Eight, eight hour days. Right. Eight days. <laughs> well, and like across a across a 90 day shoot, you're only adding a week onto the end total. You know what I mean? It, it that ask is not overall too much to say an eight hour day and and I like the way you put it, portal to portal, you're still looking at a ten hour plus right. day potentially on an eight yeah. hour day. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Fair. You know what I mean? That sounds fair. Yeah. I mean, listen, fair, yes, it's fair, but, but life isn't fair. And, and, <laughs> and the reason, well, listen, we were lucky to shoot for 90 days. I mean, yeah. it's actually, the more I hear about other shooting schedules, like I'm, it's actually kind of astonishing to me that we shot for that long because I hear about larger films, like bigger budget films mm -hmm. that shoot in 60, 70 days. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, I think we were really fortunate in that regard because usually typically what dictates that is actor availability. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. and also just production costs. Like, yeah, adding a week at the end of a shoot sounds, you know, like no brainer. Yeah, sure. Just add a week, but like a week is millions of dollars. Right. So yeah. it's, it's, it's just about resource allocation. That's not saying that, that, that that's a bad thing because if you stretch the same amount of money over a longer period of time and spend less every day, you put yourself in a scenario where you can shoot for longer, which I think is what right. we did. Yeah. We had a smaller crew, smaller footprint, et cetera. So I think that that all dovetailed into it. Like we're not paying for hundreds upon hundreds of, of people standing around on a, on a stage th that built sets and set up lights. And then, you know, we, we did that for two weeks in London. We had like a more traditional shoot. 
yeah. um, in that regard, traditional quote unquote. But, um, uh, but yeah, it's like, you could see how, oh God, if we did a whole movie like this with, uh, 12, uh, to 15 electrics rigging crew, 12 to 15 grips, um, big art department, um, uh, dressers, scenics, everything like you, you have all of those people on payroll for yeah. four months and, and the stage you're renting the stage space. You're, you're, you're using yeah. materials, resources, like that, that was the advantage of what we did was like going to location. You don't need any of that. You need a small crew. We wanted a small crew because we wanted a nimble footprint. It's just a different, it's just a different approach. It's yeah. a different approach. And also um, to, ev- but it was to cool. everyone out there, the creator was fucking gorgeous. Okay. Yeah. It yeah. was gorgeous. It was my favorite of and last year. Like to do what you guys did with your smaller footprint, with all that, and then to see all these overhyped, over-exaggerated, over-budgeted movies that just honestly suck in comparison to that. <laughs> like, learn from these guys right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we appreciate that. I mean, look, and I'll point out that, you know, we're not the only ones out there doing this. Like, Nolan works in a similar way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Oppenheimer, despite its scope and scale, um, was made for, I mean, it's funny to put the word only before this number, but it's made for about a hundred mil, I think. We consider um, the possibly less in and of itself right exactly, there. So right. it might've been, it might've been 90, but similar thing. It's a lot of, it's very location heavy. Nolan works with a small crew. Um, they're, it's very efficient. It's, it's not, he's not doing the stuff that you see on these big blockbusters where they're just renting out stages right. for five months and building every set. Right. That's not how he makes movies. Yeah. And I think that that more streamlined and that that kind of narrower and more focused and more location heavy, smaller crew approach, I mean, he shoots single camera. Like he doesn't even have multiple camera crews. Like he's one camera, one camera crew. Um, and I think of that also the proofs in the pudding with that movie and, mm-hmm. and his other movies and how they turn out. So it's it, it, it. I think the challenge with this approach is it requires a lot of discipline. Yeah. And that's hard to come by these days. It's yeah. just hard to come by. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you compare this to like anything that Marvel made last year, with the exception of Guardians 3. Like, you look at like the budgets on that, it's like 200 million, 300 million. It's like, why does it look worse? <laughs> like, and it, it's just, it, it's like, it's the shotgun effect. Like, you know, shoot, a, shoot everything against the wall, see what sticks. Yeah. But then you look at like the disciplined creators, you know, like, you know, Gareth with uh, the creator or. Yeah. While I didn't care for Oppenheimer, it it, it does look good. It, it is yeah. a good looking film. I was not yeah. a big fan of the editing style that drove me crazy. I just, I'm sure there's a, <laughs> there's a really good movie inside that three hour montage. Oh my <laughs> so, god, you're about to be livid when uh, when it wins best editing at the Oscar. <laughs> right. Oh, um, oh we, Seth and I have had this problem with uh, with uh, Nolan's editing ever since Dark Knight Rises. This is his standard editing style, mm. and it's it's always bothered me yeah. and Seth. And I just it's just not for me. Fair yeah. enough. To each their own. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I, yeah, get like, I get it. We've we've kind of do, uh, dove into your your work philosophies around film, and uh, I'm I, I'm I'm very like uh, I, I will even say enamored to hear professionals talking this way and like a very empathetic to the human experience of making a movie and not you just give a shit about line. your crew. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, thank you for giving a shit about your crew for for real. Because that's as as like a younger filmmaker that looks up to uh, artists like you. I'm I'm. 
I'm also listening for that kind of stuff. Like, d- is this is this something you give a shit about? Because it's something I give a shit about, and it's yeah. Uh, well, to to I want it to catch on culturally, but I'd like to transition maybe into some of your artistic philosophies for a minute if you're interested. I would I, I would love that. Mm-hmm. I love artistic things. <laughs> I, so something that I've noticed going back through your filmography, you love to use shadow as your right. as your major and light as your highlight instead of the opposite with lots of front lighting. Um where does that come from in your in your uh you know your history as a DP in your do you have like hard set artistic philosophies you like to stick to in your shooting? Um and is that am I keying into something here that you like doing or <laughs> yes you are uh but you know what's funny about it is that I don't necessarily do that on purpose. Okay. If that makes sense. So what I think that is, is that is just a, a, that is an expression of my taste Okay. as, as a D as a DP, as an artist, as a visual person. And I like, and, and the way that I can explain that is when I am taking still photographs, which I do fully as a hobby, like I am not a professional still photographer nobody hire me as a, as a still photographer. Like I, I will do a bad job. I do not know how to light for stills. I don't know how to use strobes. I don't know any of the equipment. Like I just take pictures for fun as a hobby. And I have since I was a, a teenager. Yeah. Um, and obviously it dovetails into, into filmmaking. There's quite a bit of overlap, but the difference to me is that my stills work is hundred percent street photography. Like it is all, I do it on travels or just like day to day or on set and it's all available light. It's all found lighting. Um, and found compositions. And even in that work, like when I'm framing up a shot or I see an image that uh, that's in front of my eyes that I'm like, oh, I should take a photo of this. It's usually what you just described. Like it's usually somebody kind of in a window that's mostly in silhouette with a little bit of edge light on them, or it's like some silhouette shape in a foreground. Like that's just what I'm drawn towards visually. And so then in my filmmaking work where I'm creating the lighting and creating the images, I'm drawn to the same stuff. Like that's just, you know, if I light something and it doesn't look that way, uh, I don't like it and I don't want to shoot something I don't like. Mm -hmm. So I will hone and shape and tweak and adjust until it kind of gets into a place that I like it. But, but I'm not standing there saying, Oh, the, the, the light isn't far side enough and the shadow isn't, um, prominent enough. Let me adjust that. Like I'm not making the conscious choice in that regard. Does that make sense? Like it's just, it's just instinct. Like I think, I think a lot of cinematography and when people talk about style or, or taste or anything like that, like to me, it's all, it's all, it all falls under the same umbrella because some DPs will say, I don't have a style. You know, I can, I shoot a bunch of different stuff and it's like, yeah, that's true. But you still have your instincts as a cinematographer and that's what people look at and say style they call it style your your accumulation of instincts or or taste so i see that in my work like i see that in hindsight but i i don't do it on purpose but uh yeah and i mean where that comes from is i think just um it's just the stuff i like it's 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 chiaroscuro it's rembrandt it's uh carvaggio it's uh dutch painters it's um it's Gordon Willis. It's uh, Sven uh, Nyqvist. It's um, Nestor Almendros. It's uh, Vittorio Storaro. Like that's what it is. It's just all those DPs were ripping off painters. 
Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. and then all of the, 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 the following generation of DPs, which is, um, Deacons and Harris Savitas and, and all of them, they're ripping off those other DPs. I right. mean, you know, I'm using ripping off here as in a glib very, way, but very but, positive way. Right. Yeah. yeah because then, yeah. because then I'm ripping all of them off. Like it's, all, right. you know, it's all, it's all just an accumulation of, it all starts from, from, from the paintings though, really. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where it comes from originally. Like it's so amazing to me. I love going to art galleries specific. Anytime there's a Dutch uh, golden age exhibit anywhere, I'm like psh, beeline right there because I love looking at those paintings because they look like they're on shot deck. Like they look like they're stills from contemporary movies. Yeah. Like some of them are, are striking in that regard. You're like, wow, they were really in tune with this type of lighting, like this type of sculpted, moody, atmospheric, um, contrasty lighting, and they were really attuned to it. It's it's really cool. Say, to see. come visit me in in Florida over here. We have the Dolly. I have the Salvador Dolly Museum is like thirty minutes from me. Mm. <laughs> I would love to. I've yeah. been to the Dolly Museum in Spain. In Ooh, Bar- in, I think it's in Barcelona. Oh wow! Show me up now. Thanks. Trying to. <laughs> so. You know, it's only the place that he lived, uh, so nah. it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. No, <laughs> yeah, I, I love all that. So I, I've always been a big, a big museum person. I was just, uh, I was just in New York. I, I popped over to the Met. I always just, I like just wandering around. I always, I have a folder on my phone that's just photographs of paintings in museums. <laughs> and awesome. every time I see one, I just like, whoop, it just goes right into that folder. References for later. <laughs> nice. So, that brings up. I uh, wanted to address the. Um, oh no! Go oh ahead. no! My I, I, we can save my question for after because Dory. Okay, uh, I was going to say that the uh, extensive lighting that was used on the creator was a lot of Helios tubes and a lot of Titan tubes. That's why I, I saw a lot of behind the scenes. Uh, Seth, we know a lot about those, don't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got a lot of practice with those in Salem. <laughs> yeah, we were shooting our thing in Salem, and I uh, I was on a feature up in New York. Um, I moved up to New York last year for, for, uh, for work. I was working on a film, and then the work went away, and the strike happened. It's like, okay, I'm moving back home. Forget it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was on a, that movie If, that John Krasinski. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I worked on that. I was on the uh, Rigging Electric crew. I, I saw the trailer, and I was like, I'm happy to have worked on it. I'm probably never going to watch this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not I'm, my cup I, of tea. I'm so curious. I'm just like, what is this? I mean, I'll, I'll watch it, but I'm just, it's like John Krasinski. Interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, right. well, not part, I of the sell- <laughs> part of the selling point for it was that one of the sets was literally across the street from his apartment. So there's a, there's the bonus. Nice. John. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty good bonus. Yeah. I, I would, I would, I would yeah. take that gig. <laughs> right. roll, roll out of bed, go across the street, go to work. Great. Love it. Um, Love it. But yeah, we, we had a to- an accumulated total of, I think it was, I want to say it was like 130 Titan tubes. Wow. Mm. And those things are egregiously expensive, and I was, and because then I saw the budget was like two hundred million, I was like, Jesus Christ! Well, but it's just a movie about cartoon characters coming alive. Why are we shooting it like this? And then you get on set and you realize, oh, it's Janusz Kaminski as the DP, and then you realize, oh, he likes to overlight everything and then bring it down with filters in the camera. It's like, okay, yeah. so if you only needed like three eighteen Ks to light the set for daylight, he'll overlight it. And then dims it down with filters in the camera so to match the lumens of the sun. Great, but that means you need another generator. You need more power. <laughs> you need more people, and just the budget just kept going up and up and up and up. And it's yeah. like all this oh. 
for a for a cute comedy. <laughs> uh, and, you yeah, know, like, I'm happy for the work. I'm happy for the paycheck, but it just felt like just why. I, I have a hard time with that, and, and and it might be just because of it's like I come from a indie background, yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, I just I've never had all that all those resources. But to me, I, I see that happen quite a bit. Like sometimes I'll see, um, you know, you'll see like an American cinematographer article about some movie. I don't, I can't even think of a specific example, and you'll see the setup, and then you and then you look at the final image, and you're like. I have that same thought. I'm like, you, you used all of that for this. Yeah. Like, this just looks, the final image looks great. looks beautiful, naturalistic. Like, like, wow, you, did you really need all, all of that? Like, I don't know. I, and, and that's, I find myself, I wonder like if I'm in that position, will I, will I do that? You know, will I just do what, what, what everybody else does? But mm. I'd like to think not like, I'd like to think that the philosophy of minimalism, um, extends to any scale and scope it's like you know sometimes you need a lot of lights just to light up a large space but yeah you're still keeping the 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 philosophical approach to it is like okay well but what's the minimal amount that i can use and again sometimes the minimal amount is i need an 18k in each window because i'm shooting in this gigantic like vaulted ceiling Mm. you know uh train station or something where that's five stories high and and if you need that amount of punch through each window, then that's what you're going to need. But, right. um, but would you need more than that? Like, why would you ever need more than that? You know what I mean? Sure, like yeah. mm-hmm. th- that to me just seems like that's all you would need. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, this, this might be naive on my part. And, and also I might be making some technical, um, errors in, by exposing to what the camera needs as opposed to overexposing and then stopping it down in camera or with a LUT or whatever, like there's various methods that people do to create a, sure. a thicker digital narrative, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, digital negative, quote unquote, or, or an actual negative, uh, uh, negative film negative. And I don't do that. Like I just tend to light to what I need. And often I'll even juice the ISO a little bit just to like, I would rather, Whoa. Okay. I would rather under light something and then light to an 800 ISO, for example, uh, like whatever the speed of my slowest lens is, like T118, let's say, and then find myself in a situation where like I'm pushing into a close-up and it's a little underexposed. I would rather just switch, like juice the ISO to 1280 than like start relighting. Because it's just like, I just go, just boost it a little bit and let's shoot. Like I don't want to deal with relighting, adding another light, all that stuff. It just takes up so much time. And yeah. And time is the most precious thing on set. Like time is, is, is everything. I, if, if I could, if I was good enough, maybe one day I'll get there to just like pre-light well, and have the resources to be able to pre-light everything. Yeah. And then, and then do it to a, such a degree that you're not even really tweaking between setups. Like you've just, you've pre-lit it so well and so beautifully and naturalistically that you like you just don't even need to come in and add additional units when you move in from a wide to a close up. Mm. That's what I, I would love to do that because then you could yeah. just like shoot, 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 and everything's pre lit, and you show up, and it's like you've showed up at the most beautifully lit, like natural location with available light, and you just got you're just the luckiest DP in the world, and you know you have this beautiful side light, 
and it's just consistent because it's artificial, but you don't actually need to like tweak and adjust it as you, as you go. That's like the ideal shooting scenario and that you just yeah. don't stop. You just shoot, shoot, move in for the close up, shoot. Like the more time you get to do that, the better, because that's what we're here to do. Right. Like right. We're, here to, right. we're here to get footage. Like we're here to get performance and, and stuff in front of the camera. Yeah. Any, I, I hate wasting time with stuff behind the camera. I really do. So I feel like, like what it is, is it's hard to cut in stuff, but I feel like what it is is like, it's the older, uh, group of filmmakers and, and cinematographers that are still stuck in the shooting on film mindset, yeah. which is that you have to take a ton of time to light everything. Like you guys shot the creator on, was it FX three? Yeah. <laughs> like, a, a camera you can buy for four grand. <laughs> yeah. Like, and uh, there was somebody that posted, I can't remember who it was. Somebody, some asshole in one of those Facebook chats was saying oh. like real films are shot on the Alexa and you posted the camera. You literally shot the film on. And it's like, it's like, yeah, like you can like Sean Baker shot the film Tangerine on an iPhone. Yeah. It's like mm -hmm. there's, we're at a point where the democratization of filmmaking has reached a point where you don't have to spend a ton of time shooting on celluloid or the Alexa right. or the red, like, Seth, who was the person that made the formula for post-production where you could translate digital media into looking like film? Who was that? I've been trying to find it since we brought it up. Uh, it, it was a YouTuber that uh, he's got an algorithm that uh, basically relaces his digital photo as film, and it looks fucking fantastic, and it's free. Um, yeah. Like the and then immediately the whole film community, went at, they pounced on him. They're like, how dare you? all the effort we put in like no it's like we've reached a point where you don't need to put in all that yeah. effort. He, he became a pariah <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> like you don't need to waste time anymore yeah i mean i try not to even listen to all that noise like steve yetlin i think popped the balloon of this like five years ago with his with his um display prep demo i don't know if you guys have seen that but um like at this point between, I mean, I use like a film emulator um, on Lightroom, like when I color my, yeah. my photos, when I do my photo editing mm -hmm. and every uh, post house has like pr a proprietary version of that algorithm that you're discussing, like yeah. various film emulation tools and stuff like that. Like at this point, I mean, what we're emulating is the aesthetics, right? We're emulating aesthetics uh, of film, gate weave, halation, et cetera. And like, you can emulate those, like you can fake those. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, purists will say that you can't, but I just, I think the proof's in the pudding and ultimately, also it, do, it just doesn't matter. Like at the yeah. end of the day, this is the other thing that drives me nuts about all this a little bit. Like 99% of audiences, the people that watch, actually watch the stuff that we make, they don't care. They can't tell the difference. They don't care. They don't know. <laughs> they don't care. They don't even they don't, know. They don't know. They don't know and they don't care. They don't. Now, that's not to say that they they don't know or care about the aesthetics, because I yeah. think that the aesthetics can um, evoke different feelings, different moods, like a movie like The Holdovers, which did a, a major like film emulation look to kind of evoke this feeling of like a 1970s yeah. film that creates a feeling when you watch the movie that cre that like elicits nostalgia and memory of other films like that's why they're doing that. Now, a purist can say, well, they didn't fully accurately replicate this, 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 and this element. But for a lay person watching it, this, the, that, that 2% where it's not perfect, they don't notice that. They notice the 98% of the facsimile of the look and the feel. And that's all mm -hmm. that matters, ultimately. That's, that's all that matters. We're not making movies for the 2% of people who will notice the minutia. 
We're making movies for the 98% who we just need to broad strokes, like create evoke a feeling and evoke a mood. Yeah. And so that's why I'm like, I just don't really get into that kind of stuff. I'm just, it's like, Hey, does it create the mood that I want? Does it look good? Do I like how it looks? Then great. What else matters beyond that? I don't right. know. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I think. Same with lenses. Like a lot of times I'll see people online ask, I think from a good place, like I understand why people have this instinct. They'll say, oh, I shot um, some footage for a film on, on these lenses and I can't get them anymore for pickups or reshoots. What would be like a similar lens uh, that would, that I can match to those ones? And, and my answer is always like, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, what, what does it matter? Like, what does it matter? Yeah. I guarantee you that 99% of people watching the film that you're working on or whatever you're making, and they see one shot that's shot on um, Canon K35s, and then they see another shot that's shot on Master Primes. They, won't, they can't tell the difference. Right. Yeah. They can't tell the difference. You, you color grade them to match. So there's, there's no obvious jarring difference between them. And once you've done that, you know, what, who's going to notice except like diehard cinematography people who are looking at like the different shape of the bokeh. They're like, well, the bokeh is different. And it's like, okay, how many of us can recognize that? Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. are, you, are you pausing the film in the theaters to raise your hand and go, hey, the bokeh changed. What the fuck? Exactly. <laughs> oh, my God, the bokeh. And it just took me out of the, I was into the movie and then the bokeh changed and now I can't. I did broke my immersion. Damn it. Filmmakers. What were you doing? Like, it doesn't, that's not, I've, I've never really experienced that. So yeah, there's only, there's (laughs) only three things I've noticed that ever break immersion when you're watching a film. One is something's out of focus Mm -hmm. Two, If the editing is jarring and three, if the sound is off, that's other than that, doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. I couldn't agree more. I I love it. Um, so I, I have to bring this up because I don't know if you can see behind me. Uh, I'm a big fan of Legos, and you are the first person <laughs> IMDb I, that I've ever looked up yes! that mentions Legos yes! specifically in the bio. <laughs> <So> <laughs> my, question, my question for you is, what's, what's the big orange set? What is your, like, Lego mecca? Um like the one the, the the dream one that I don't have. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, let's go with the one you don't have, but also I'd like to hear like what's your what's your oh, I mean, home set? Let me let me just uh let me just pan this camera over. Yes, yes, yes. yes. There it is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> let, me just, <laughs> let me just uh uh let's see. How do I adjust the focus on this now? Um I think I could do it here. Uh If it's on your phone, you might just have to tap. Oh yeah. Maybe not. It's weird. I thought it would auto do that, but um yeah, weird. Anyway, out of focus in the background here. <laughs> you can see uh multiple multiple Lego sets. Um is yeah, that really... the is that is that the uh escape vessel from the original Star Wars down there? That is, is that the... the Oh there it yep. is. Just, it just did. There it is. That's the Yep, that's yes, that's blockade the... runner. Yep. So blockade so runner, I, yeah. So I really got into I got into mocks and a mock MOC is a um uh is a uh uh oh god, I don't even remember what it stands for, but basically it's this whole community where people design their own custom Lego sets and sell the instructions and the parts list and then you can go Ooh. on uh, Bricklink and order all the parts <laughs> and yep. it's all automated. You just upload an XML 
and it it populates your shopping cart with various shops in the world that are that people That's do this. Cool. They collect Legos in order to sell the parts, and then you you get the parts. They get shipped to your place. You sort them, and then you build the custom sets. And it's a lot more challenging than building a regular set because the regular ones, you know, they have to be for for kids. Like yeah. there's there's mm -hmm. rules. There's actually very specific rules of like. They're called legal connections. Oh, that like how they yes, do yes, like yes. the L shapes, and they like put them at at bends to like make a exactly. circle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so mocks the 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 custom sets break the legal rules of what like an official Lego set can do. So they end up a lot more elaborate and more and more challenging to build. Uh, so that's how much of a nerd I am. Uh, hey, I, have, I, have I, I knew we several, were going to get some nerdy ass answers. I, I wasn't expecting Lego, Lego Black Market. I'm going to yeah. be honest. That, was a, that yes. was a shocker for me, but hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which ones, which ones, what, what else, what do you guys have off camera? What's. Oh, man. I wish I could uh, show you. I have a, um, a 55 gallon aquarium with an underwater, the abyss uh, submarine set up with like six divers and. Like oh, I fantastic. do like Lego dioramas basically. Yeah, yeah. I don't have the space for that, but the one that's all the way in the end um over here, did that did that work? I don't know how I did it. I made I made it work last <laughs> time. But the one that's all the way at the end you can't see it. I have a a, a mock, a custom set of the um the war rig from Mad Max Three Rose. Oh nice. Logging um, out right now. I'm leaving. <laughs> this is the end of the I, interview. I'm too I know, I kind of want to walk the camera over and sh and show you, but but you I can find it online. You, you can find it online if you Google um, Mad Max Fury Road Lego. You'll find you'll see it. You'll find I had, it. I had to switch my lights. I'm green with envy now. I'm like, yeah. I'm, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's so my mad. pride and joy. And uh, uh, let me just shout out quickly that uh, somebody reached out to me on Instagram and they said, "Hi, I'm so and so." A few friends of mine and I like we're Lego builders and we're doing like uh, some the creator custom Lego stuff. <laughs> and I and I I responded to this person. I was like, this is literally the best message I've ever received. <laughs> and and I was like, please send me everything. Send me your progress. Send me like I want to see it all. I want to see every single step of this. So yeah, I'm 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 all in. It's sad the film. I mean, if the film was a bigger thing and it was more of a block of a franchisey thing, maybe we could have got official Lego sets. But that right. that dream will that dream will come one day. One day. <laughs> Man, that's so cool. I love that. All right. I can't wait. I, I I got something to Google over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> so I want to jump in with my quick question, real quick. Um, it's also Please, a bit yes. nerdy to. To be on topic, I, I always like to do like a very off the cuff question with people we interview to to break it up from the mundane. Um, I was actually watching one of the interviews you were doing. Uh, you were talking about fixation with Mercedes and you were saying, yeah, well, I needed something to do in the pandemic because I, all I was doing was playing Animal Crossing. Um so, <laughs> one, <Hell> yeah. <laughs> so one, um, I totally need to be your friend on Animal Crossing because I love Animal Crossing. Uh, um, but my biggest question is, since you have the background in um, like cinematography, your DP and all that, to all those people who play Animal Crossing, you can go to Harv's Island and in his house, you can, like, make custom rooms and all that. And I've seen people make, like, little movies and recreate scenes. 
in Animal Crossing yes. with that. So mm-hmm. have you done that in Harv's Island? And if not, what would you do if you did? Well, I, I'm sad to confess that I probably have not visited my Animal Crossing Island in two years. Well, I, I get it. I get it. It was Animal Crossing Cause, was cause, made cause before was, the pandemic. It was a phase. <laughs> it was, exactly. It was, made for it, it, was, it, was, it was maybe one of the most vivid examples of right place, right time that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Like we were all stuck at home and stressed and worried about the state of the world. And here comes this bundle of pure, calming, zen-like bliss that just transports you to paradise and gives you something to do and a bunch of things to take care of and people and And you can like play with your friends on it too. Exactly. And it was very social. And, and, and I, I actually spent a lot of time with friends on animal crossing, Mm -hmm. like on the phone, visiting each other's eyes. It was great. That was, that was, it feels weird to say like, Oh, you know, those first few months of the pandemic were kind of great, but, um, in that regard, in that specific regard, they, they kind of were. I it was like you weren't thing. worried about work. Yeah, like the stress of the of work well, went well, away. I Nobody was, was working. working. I was still working. Yeah, well, fair enough. The, the, yeah. the, for me, the stress of work went away. And um, yeah, so Harv's Island, I I did play with that a little bit. I've I've never. Here's the here's my other problem is as as a gamer and as 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 anything, I'm I'm a little lazy. Like I'm a little. Like I see things that people do in games at like, for example, Zelda played it this summer, loved it. Tears of the kingdom. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Finished the game. Uh, uh, I, I nearly 100%ed it. I, I did not get all the Korok seeds cause I'm not a lunatic. Yeah, a little too much. No one has. But here's the thing. Some people do. I know, I know people who do. And, uh, oh, God. <laughs> and again, bless them. But right. this is, this is the point. The, the Zonai devices, I really enjoyed watching videos of people constructing these like incredible things. Yeah. I mean, people were building like Gundams, yes. the Batmobile, uh, like crazy stuff. And and I could barely put together like two sticks and a wheel. Like I'm just I'm just too lazy to like really get into like the tedious, um, uh, particular like persnickety things in games. Mm. And so. Animal Crossing is a perfect example. Like I've seen uh, people recreate things in in um, in in the uh, the photo studio the, the, and make little movies. And I've seen people's islands and their designs and everything. And I'm just like, I could, I could never <laughs> get to that point. Like it would take me so long just to do one little thing. So um, I don't know if I have a satisfying answer to that, but um, but I love seeing other people do yep. them. If that right. makes sense, I really no, admire I mean, it. It's yeah. just a fun. I, feel like I love that people left. derive pleasure in that stuff. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. exactly. Like, it's just cool. It's like, it's just like a niche little interest, you know? And I think our our niche little interest is film. My thing that I do is I watch movies. Like I watch every movie that comes out every year. Like that's my version of that. And most yeah. people don't do that. And I do that. Uh, and so that's like everyone, that's my niche interest that some mm-hmm. other people have other outlets that they, uh, they, they express it in, whether it's with, right. Zonai devices in Zelda or um, recreating entire scenes in Animal Crossing from other films. Like, that's great. I love that. But um, yeah, that's not my that's not mine. That's not my niche. I'm too bad at it. I'm too I don't know it well enough. Know your limits, you know, know your limits. (laughs) As the only other 
as the other only other person that's actually like professionally within the film business at this point, uh, I can say it makes me happy to hear that you actually enjoy watching movies and shows and stuff like that. Cause I, yeah. I've been on set with so many people. They're just like, yeah, I don't watch movies. It's just a job to them. Yeah. It's like, Why are you here? Like, I don't, what, I, I don't get that. I don't get it. I don't get that. I don't get that because it's a hard job. Like it's just, yeah. And it's technically a niche job. You have to be in a union. You have to go through all this, all, all this, this spiel of like learning the process of how to do it. It's not like just, it's not like being a construction where you, where you can just like, Oh, can you lay bricks? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. It's like, yeah. It's yeah. Like it's yeah, yeah. 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 I, think it, I think it needs that because I, I mean, I, I, uh, it was interesting. I, I was talking to, um, um, somebody online, it was on, it was on some, uh, Facebook group forum, whatever about like this person posed this question. Um, and it was basically like someone earlier in their career. And they were like, um, what do you guys think? They were posing the question to the group. I am a little tired of the films, like the indie films that I work on, expecting so much from me, taking up so much of my time, expecting me to do all this free work, prep, research, you know, showing up, like working after hours, scouting after a shoot day. Uh, and he was basically asking like, so for those people who are a little further along in the industry, like, like, when does it stop? Like, is that really, um, is that really sustainable? Is that really realistic? Cause it doesn't, he's like, that just doesn't seem right to me. Like, it doesn't seem right that, you know, that, that that's what this entails. And my, my response to that is like, uh, find another industry, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. like, I don't, I don't know. Like if, if that passion, if that passion isn't there, the reason we do all that stuff is because we we're passionate. Like mm-hmm. we love, right. we love making, fi- I love watching films. I love making films because I love watching films. Like, because I like movies, I like making them. And so like the satisfaction of the, the of making is at least 50% of it is thinking about the satisfaction of watching the finished movie, like, right. or, yeah. or, or at least of striving towards like creating a finished movie. To me, it's like, it was just as satisfying to, make um any of the films that i've made but you know specifically focusing on the creator as it is to like watch the finished film um and because i don't have that i I know a lot of people are like oh i don't like watching my own work and i just see the mistakes and i'm just critical of it and all that Mm. and i don't really have that like i i mean i don't not have it like i see things that i would do differently when i watch a film but it does not overshadow my experience of just watching it like as a movie and um and so I, you know, I, I used to, um, I used to host a little podcast myself. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar cinematography <laughs> salon, um, but, uh, still ongoing by the way, great podcast, not, uh, sorry yeah. to shout out a different podcast on. No, no, podcast. please. No, we, love it. no we cross over all the time with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, but, but, uh, uh, cause now it's my friend Ava's co-hosting and she's great anyway. Uh, and Peter, um, so we had Mandy Walker on last season um, I brought her on to interview and, and um, we asked her this and we kind of talked about this same topic because I've had these conversations with DPs like Mandy and like Greg and, and, and like that. And the thing is, is like, even at the highest level, big features, uh, big, big studio films, like full, full budget um, blockbusters, this, there is this expectation. Like 
you're going to do pre-lights on the weekend. You're going to do scouts on the weekend. You're going to do scouts after wrap. You're going to sit with the director. You're going to go watch dailies. You're going to do prep work in the morning. You're like the, the, the process of making the project within reason. And this is why the 10 hour days or less is important because Mm, I think part of it is like, you need to just free up both physical and mental time to like mm-hmm. think about the movie yeah. and not just be in the process of physically making it, but also be be able to have some brain waves free to like think about it mm-hmm. and think about the, you know what you're doing next week and all that. Um, but that expectation is there and that dedication is there. And it's like, if you want to make it and work at that level, you kind of need to put in that work. Like there's no right. way around that. There's, there's, there's no, I mean, again, within reason, like I think that everything we talked about earlier about boundaries and, um, uh, physical and mental health, like is super important, but within that framework, like when you're on a project, I, especially having gone through it with the creator, like being on location. So there, you know, there really isn't anywhere else for us to be both physically and mentally. Um, when you're on a project, like you're on the project, Mm -hmm. you know, like you are, your dedication and focus is expected and required. And if that's too much, like if that feels like it's asking too much, then I don't know why you're doing this because like me, I'm doing it because I am passionate about it because I love movies and I love watching them and I love making them. So, so that's why I want to put in all that work and I want to make it the best that it can be, um, with, with fair compensation, with rest periods, with et cetera. But still like, it's not just a job. Uh, it's not just something I clock in and clock out of. If if that's what I was looking for, I would not work in film. And so long tangent to loop back to this idea of like, I also don't understand when people are on set. They're like, I don't watch movies. I don't really care about movies. So I'm like, then why are you in this industry? Like go, it's, there's easier jobs. Yeah. Out there. Like yeah. there's just easier, chiller jobs <laughs> that would not Mm-mm. cost you as much physically and mentally and emotionally. Yeah. Like I yeah. just go get a different, but anyway, that's another tangent. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, when you mentioned when one more thing, uh, you, when you mentioned Greg, you mean Greg Fraser? Is that correct? Greg Fraser, yes. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I saw that this you're a co DP on this with Greg. He was away doing Dune Part Two. Yes. Right? Yeah. Well, he was yeah, prepping. So- he was prepping Dune Part Two, so he was still active with us, but he mm-hmm. wasn't physically on set. So he was watching dailies and and um, dealing with some remote stuff behind the scenes with. Um, uh, with, uh, in terms of dailies projection and working with photocam, working on backend, working with ILM for our virtual, uh, production, um, component. We had a few mm. sets we shot on the volume and working on our Pinewood shoot in general, like pre-lighting that working with the art department there. And then also just keeping in touch with me, like on the daily in terms of what we're doing in Thailand. So, um, yeah, very active role, but just not physically there. It was, it was very unique. I mean, the whole thing was unique because our director was also the camera operator. So, yeah. you know, even, mm-hmm. even in that regard, mm-hmm. it's not your typical, like, well, I'm the DP. So every single thing about the visual, like every indie film that I'd done up until now was pretty standard. Like, well, I'm the DP, so I'm going to choose where the camera goes and I'm operating and I'm also lighting and also planning the next week and doing everything. Right. Whereas on this job, it was like, well, there's two DPs. So there's someone... There's two of us who are planning instead of just one. Um, and then I'm not deciding where the camera's going and I'm not operating. So it's like, it, it was, it was very different, but kind of great. I mean, it was, it was very great. Like, yeah, I, I, I could really focus on image and lighting and, and, and everything and, and supporting our director. And that's really what cinematography is about. So it was a great, it was a great experience. Very collaborative, but very yeah. different and unique. 
Yeah. That's so interesting. I, I didn't, I like, I imagined it was a very collaborative, but like, it sounds like you guys are really like kind of a, a triad of handholding there where you kind of, uh, working as a three-headed monster, you know or what I mean? That's, that's really back, yes. or a triforce. So yes, right. exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yep, yep. That's exactly right. Yeah, it was. It was like that, and it was. Um, uh, it was a very special experience. I, 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 I don't know when I would be able to replicate it, but I would. I would definitely like it. Was yeah, it was really fun. I love yeah. collaboration. I just love. I you know because I I love movies and I love making them and I like working with people who like making them so it's just fun gareth is like a f total film nerd so it's like very easy to yeah mm, to to collaborate with somebody like that because you're just talking the same language you're just talking mm -hmm. about references and movies that you and, both and like creator is a very reference heavy movie like i i was yes. listing them in my head as i was leaving and i was like these guys just parked themselves in 80s sci-fi and said yep that yep. one and that one and that one yep. and, and i love to see that influence in there because it's giving me all those flavors without like forcing me to think about the plots of those movies either. Yeah, well, I'm glad you liked it. A lot of people didn't. What? A lot of people didn't, didn't like that specific thing. Now, I love it too, because because I'm a film guy. So I'm like, I love yeah, all the references I to me. I love the nostalgia. Yeah, it's nostalgic and it's a movie that wears its references on its sleeve. And I think that's yeah. a good thing. It's like, a, it's like what Tarantino does, but some people, I don't know, they didn't get it. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> but that's no, a topic I, for another another podcast. Was it disappointing when you saw the box office and it just kind of just petered out? Was it disappointing to Th see that? This one's going to yeah. have long legs, though. I can't imagine. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. Like, but yeah. 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 I mean, the whole reception, there's an element of it. And I have to be careful for myself to like yeah. not make it sound like I'm complaining because because I'm not because this was right. like an incredible experience and opportunity and a big step up in my career and like i'm so grateful for all of it and i'm so lucky to have been a part of it like truly genuinely i'm not just saying that as like an asterisk but but in addition to that yeah there was the, there was an element of the release that was disappointing the box office and the and the critics but you know yeah like you said what can you do we made the movie for the audience that it's for yeah which mm -hmm. includes us um, and I think that's always the best kind of movie that you make. It's like you make a movie for you, for that you would want to see. And I think we really did that. And everyone who worked on it is super proud of it. And I think it'll find its legs and it'll find its audience over time. Like, you know, my best hope is that um, a, a lot of great sci-fi films have found their legs later in life. And so, you know, if we were lucky enough to be counted among among those, like if we're, a, you know, if we're a sunshine or a... Um, children of men or anything like that like films that sort of yeah didn't do great or, or obviously the original blade runner is probably the quintessential example sure oh yeah didn't do great at, at time of release even got kind of or even the sequel <laughs> didn't do yeah. well <laughs> and it's and 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 it just builds over time you know yeah well, and, one can and hope <laughs> i, I <laughs> had a, a mentor tell me one time the box office is for the businesses to make their money back the filmmaking process is for the artists to grow do you yeah. how do you feel like you grew working with gareth and greg as an artist D did you grab any nuggets that like it, we we have lots of filmmakers in our audience um or like aspiring filmmakers what, yeah. what's a, a to the cinematographers specifically did you grab anything from them that you're just like wow that really advanced me Oh my God, so much. I mean, we, we talked about this earlier and I think this is a good summary of like the whole career, um, uh, even though we didn't touch on too many other specific films, which is probably for the better, honestly, because <laughs> some of them are, are not great. But, um, uh, you know, you learn something on every every project, like everything right. you do, 
you you take something away from and you learn something from that uh, from that experience. And I've really learned and taken away, especially from the features, just because it's so inundated, like it's so all encompassing, you know, for multiple weeks or months, um, you're immersed in it. So you, you really take a lot away from it. And I took I took things away from every film that I've done from Nightmare Wakes and from Fixation and from the first movie that we did when we were students and um, all the way up to the creator. And each one of them is like, it's a bunch of things. It's really specific things. It's really general things. It's really personal things. It's like, it's a little bit of everything. The creator was certainly a a life-changing experience um, in many ways, both personally and um, career-wise, but also also as as an artist and as a filmmaker. And there's so many little things. I mean, I guess the top line one was probably just the collaboration and the trust. Uh, that was the biggest thing. Um, just from experiencing working with a director like Gareth and with Greg in our in our in our corner, but not physically on like the whole all of the circumstances of it were just very trust inducing in, yeah. in, a, in, in a good way. And I think trust trust is a really hard thing. Um, on set because there's you're collaborating with so many people a lot of times people you've never met or never worked with and so trust is hard like it's tricky it's Mm. tricky because a lot of times you're also collaborate frankly you're collaborating with people who aren't great like or who don't know what they're doing or whatever Mm -hmm. and on the creator that that wasn't the case like everybody was amazing and so i think it's yeah it was it was it was it was an interesting experience in that regard but um yeah, you take something away from everything and and it 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 really was sort of the quintessential like special experience of my career so far. But it's so just far, the start. yeah, you're it's young, man. You've got some, yeah, exactly. you've got some home runs behind you yet. Uh, I can't wait to see them. Just the beginning, yeah, just the beginning. Well, as long as they get Lego sets, I'll be happy. You know, that's right, the Right, exactly. <laughs> That that's that maybe, maybe be like it. your stipulation per movie contract. Whenever you be, they're like, will this be a Lego set? Okay. I really should. I mean, I'll, like I'll take a pay cut. Right. <laughs> to, to pay to pay for the Lego set like R and D. No, I, I won't. Pay, do me, that. pay me. I won't Legos, actually. That's all I need. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I yeah. I won't. If any if any agents are listening, I I will not do that. <laughs> I would. I I. I you heard of folks. He's paying, he works for Legos. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll take that as a bonus. Thank you very much. But uh, I do, I just still need to make a living out here. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have your awesome. next project lined up yet, or are you still uh, are you just taking some time off right now? No, uh, we're looking actively, actively looking for the next project, but we don't have it lined up yet. So in the meantime, I shoot commercials mm-hmm. uh, in in between narrative projects. So I'm on a I'm on a bit of a commercial run right now, and yeah. Loving it too. You learn you learn something on every commercial as well. Like every every shoot is an experience. Every experience is there's something to gain from it, as right. well as rent money. <laughs> as well, yeah. Well, exactly. I was about to say, I'm the strike. You know, really yeah. put a dent in that. So, yeah, yeah. Last year was was rough for everybody. So I think everyone's just everyone's just grateful to 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 be working on something. So, yeah, yeah. People don't realize how much like professional filmmakers actually do like commercials on the side. <laughs> they don't realize like like David Lynch does TV commercials between his oh, projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it's a job. Mm-hmm. At the end yeah, of the day, yeah. right. he's got to pay the bills. Still a paycheck, not, and, and not to only be ashamed that, of. Uh, exactly. especially especially with the DP sitting with us here, the the visual language of commercials is so fucking strong. That is no no script in some cases you're almost all visual on some commercials being able to to like cater that 
muscle within your artistic brain that makes your movies so much better just overall because you you know how to communicate so much more clearly oh 100 and by the way the other thing that commercials are really great for among many other things is um it's it's a good way to test gear oh like, yeah ooh, the, yeah so, uh, so yeah. on commercials i try to shoot with a different lens set on every commercial because That's so cool and, and usually okay. new stuff where i'm like oh yeah this I just saw they announced these new anamorphic lenses, like, you know, and, and maybe I'll go look at them at a rental house and be like, okay, yeah, these look cool. Um, now I, I want to kind of test. Site. Yeah. I want to test them in the yeah. field. Like I want to see them actually on a shoot. So commercial is a great excuse for that because again, going back to that earlier conversation, nobody really cares about, <laughs> about the lensing. Right. Yeah. So, you know, like clients, like people who work for some brand, like, you know, some like a car company, they don't know, they don't know about lenses. And why would they like, I don't know about carburetors. So that, why would they know about lenses? But um, so it's a good excuse to like, try things out and test new things. Absolutely. That's such a good idea. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to be there to feed the capitalist machine, you'd be like, well, I'm going to have some fun on the side. So, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and fun. And also like, I'm, I'm doing research. Like I'm, I'm literally yeah. like testing something for myself as an artist, like, and, uh, or for a future project or whatever it is. Like, yeah, Greg. Greg did some of that, like on the creator, um, the FX3 and the lens combo, the the, the Mercury anamorphic and, and also the Koei anamorphic. So he did a couple of commercials before we started filming, where he tested those, that the camera and the lenses mm -hmm. on in the field on commercials to test the look, the workflow, and everything. Um, so yeah, just a, another example of that, like just a great excuse and opportunity to like. Be like, hey, I'm doing working on this movie coming up, and we want to use this camera that people haven't really shot a movie on before, um, and we want to make sure that it pairs well with these lenses that we selected. So, mm -hmm. what better way to test that than like on a shoot, on a job? Love it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's so cool, Dan. I feel like we have just picked up so much knowledge from you. I really appreciate oh you uh, taking a chunk of your afternoon to to chat with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This was great. I always love nerding out about this stuff. I mean, I feel like I could go on and on. So I I apologize if I'm rambling on some stuff, but you know, it's just well, we, no, love it. we love it. Oh, good. Yeah, it's great. Y'all 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 are geeks too, and I I I love that. I appreciate <laughs> that. That's that's like my people. So, it's just great to to, to be able to talk about this with anybody and not yeah. just like alone. I could have done an hour on illegal Lego builds alone. You know what I mean? Oh my Just god! Like, oh my god! We could have done. We could do so many breakout podcasts about the yeah the the illegal Legos. The, do you mean breakout like, podcasts? A breakout podcast. <laughs> oh my! I was, was gonna say I I had it was a right rant. there. I had a rant about Legos on an earlier episode of our podcast just a couple oh, weeks god, ago. Oh god! Telling this story. Oh god! <laughs> so. Obviously, we're all from like the same generation. Uh, I grew up with the original 90s X-Men. That was my shit. Yes. Um, Gambit is my man, I, all that. So, and with the resurgence of X-Men 92 coming out, uh, they released Lego sets for the X-Men. And I went and I was like, oh my gosh, yes, this is my childhood. This is everything. This is Lego and X-Men. Ah! I got <laughs> so excited. But where it was sitting, it was like five different prices around it. I was like, oh, let me just check to see what price it is, whatever. And um, I go and it was only like a two to three hundred piece set. It was a cute. Yeah. It, was the, it was the Blackbird and like three minifigs. And I was like, OK, like 40, 40 bucks, fit, you know, whatever. It'll be fine. I checked the price. It was like ninety dollars. 
And I was like, I got so mad. My hopes and dreams were crushed. My my inner childhood nerd was like, why are you doing this to me? By the way, I bet that if you searched for custom X-Men Lego mocks, MOC, oh, yeah. there's going to be some masterpieces out there. Absolutely. And, 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 and this was the best that. thing about it is like once you once you once you remove yourself from the official especially with yes with franchise stuff marvel black like those lego sets frankly often are a little phoned in and they're overpriced because of the brand mm-hmm. uh so like the custom stuff for all the geeky stuff like i have some i have a uh, i'm looking at i have like an iron giant little lego I have an alien xenomorph. I have these are all custom builds because Lego would never make these sets, and the, oh. not as intricate <laughs> as this either. So there's some good stuff out there. I you yeah. should all get into it. Get into yeah. it. Yeah. I, to, I remember as a kid, I would make my own X Men little minifigs. I would like paint oh, them yeah. and everything, yeah. and I would like had the whole thing. So I'm all about uh, that. Hell yeah! One day they'll do a big official collector's set. Those ones are always really nice. Yes. Like I have the DeLorean um, Lego set, yep. and I love yep. that one. Mm. The big last one that I built was was the Titanic, oh. and I had to I, I had to take it apart. It was longer than my coffee table, like, and I had nowhere <laughs> to nowhere to put it. So one day I'll have like a one day I'll have one of those completely like horrible Lego basements where it's yeah. just yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why the, one day this horrible? Is... That sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. way you're supposed to do it, you break it at the point where it actually broke. Yes, so half of it goes on the coffee it. table, and the other half is going to be on the other side of the room, so it replicates the entire crash site. Right. Perfect. That's this an awful part of, joke. This is all part of the vision. It's all part of the, the grand vision. Uh, wow. I have the big Millennium Falcon too. I had to take that apart. Yeah. Oh man, wow. is it like ten thousand pieces? Yeah. Yes. Yes, oh and God. I have no room. I have no room for it. One day. Oh yeah. man. One day. <laughs> well, or we'll get you back on when you have your Lego display day. Uh, oh yeah, we'll do a we'll do a, we'll do a, Le- a Lego breakout podcast. We'll do one about blockbuster <laughs> budgets. We'll do one about uh, Animal Crossing. <laughs> we'll do you name it. You name the topic. We'll, we could do a whole breakout podcast. Yeah. Maybe we'll I'd bring it back that. at the end of the year for the best and worst of the year episode yeah if you're gonna watch oh. every movie in the year i'd love to get your recommends at the end of the year <laughs> i do watch every movie every year although at this point i could only really contribute to a best of because i don't want to get in trouble with anybody no yeah that, that's, <laughs> a good point. that's the way we're leaning to now absolutely <laughs> yeah well, um, well, for, for seth and i it was the movie that was horribly offensive last year and mm. it, it, that, that one's okay to be angry about we'll tell you off air <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Like I said, um, that we had a great time asking you a bunch of questions. Um, really uh, appreciate all the knowledge you imparted to us. And uh, good luck on your next one, man. I'm, we're going to be rooting yeah. for you now because it's. I mean, you, you already like blew our socks off before we knew you. Just walking out of the theater, and now to to attach a you know a face and an artist to that, it's so cool. And and what a home run! That's the best look at, looking movie of last year. Like that's a feather in your cap for sure. Thanks, y'all. I really appreciate yeah. that. Y'all I'm loving sweet. the nerd behind the camera. Okay. Right. Oh, oh well, yeah. You can't. You can't put the nerd back in the box. You know, once <laughs> once once a nerd, always a nerd. Been a nerd since I was five years old. <laughs> you're among friends here, babe. You're among yeah, friends. Right. <laughs> yeah. And if you're ever it. shooting, if you're ever shooting in the DC area, you know how to get in touch with me. This is me begging for a job. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Man, I, Gaffer. By the way, I grew up in the DC area, but I've never shot there. Really? really? Where are you from? Where are you from? College Park, Maryland. 
Shut the no fuck shit. up. No <laughs> oh, shit. God I lived what? 20 minutes outside of College Park for the last We're... 10 years. We're all I from Maryland. Not... Where are you from? Well, I haven't lived there since 1998, so just just to be okay. clear, but but that is where I, I grew up. I live in up. Florida now, so right. I mean, but where 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 are y'all from? Uh, I live near Annapolis, Davidsonville. Yep. Yeah. So uh, I think and hope you were up in where, where I were you would, before you I I so I was born in PG County. Yep. Mm-hmm. Moved to Baltimore, so I went from one ghetto to the next. <laughs> well, my school was in PG County. What? Oh, okay. Yeah. Paint Branch Montessori, a great yep. place. A Montessori, <laughs> love it. Oh, oh, I was like, oh, I was man. like Clinton, PG. Yeah, yeah, different. It's the other side of Dif- the forest. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit different. <laughs> I, dude, I'm so stoked to end this episode on some Maryland pride. <laughs> Break out your crab hammers and let's uh, let's end this podcast. Go 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 terrapins! I don't. Oh, sports. go terps! <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know anything about that, but. Uh... <laughs>